0: We have this retreat if you'd like to join in. Page 25. <laughs> raja they say Tu Anuka Mūtasā bhagavato arahato sammā sambhutasā Nā mūtasā bhagavato arahato sammā sambhutasā Nā mūtasā bhagavato arahato sammā sambhutasā Bhuddhāng dhammāng sanghāng namāsāmi today is father's day a day that uh, is dedicated to remembering the uh, male half of our parental lineage i haven't yet called my father today because uh, i didn't want to disturb the silence but maybe once everyone leaves after the uh, after the Meditation ends this evening. I'll give him a call. But I remember years ago, my father uh, wrote me a letter in uh, which he was surprisingly reflective, which is not his normal mode of (laughs) behavior. And... uh, John knows. <laughs> John and my dad have been friends for about fifty years now. <laughs> Good friends. No, <clears throat> um, well, my dad wrote me a letter and he said that oh, he'd had a, some uh, emergency dental work come up, and you know it was a bit painful. It was a Friday afternoon. It was like. 4.30, almost 5 o'clock, and he called his dentist, and, uh, you know, my dad said, well, look, you know, it, it can probably wait till Monday, you know, it's it's the end of the day, and the dentist said, no, it's not a problem, come on in, uh, we'll do it right now, uh, don't worry, no need to, to wait for Monday. My dad said, you sure? Yeah, yeah, come on in, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> so my dad went in, and, and uh, the dentist did the work and got it taken care of, and um, I guess it was on Sunday, and my dad was reading the newspapers, looking through the uh, local obituary page and saw the dentist on the obituary page. And, you know, two days earlier, or a day and a half earlier, the dentist was perfectly healthy, no uh, sign of, no, no outward sign that he was uh, within his last 48 hours of life. So that got my father thinking a bit, and I ended the letter by saying, I guess it's true what they say, live each day as if it's your last. (laughs) Because sooner or later it's going to be. You know, might as well practice. In the forest tradition, we also have a, um, a second father. The one who gives us ordination is also referred to as our, our father in the Dhamma. Because in, its, in a sense, it's uh, birth into a different way of life, you know, a different uh, way of approaching the world way of approaching the world that you know again is um, reflecting on this these truths which are around us all the time but there's such an inclination to, to not look at them right? I mean your dentist drops dead you know nearly right in front of your face and for a short while it's like wow. Life is really precious and fragile and you never know what's going to happen and the future is completely uncertain and where does that leave us? Life is completely insecure. We don't know what's going to happen the next day. But then that passes <laughs> and we kind of carry on with you know, the normal stuff that we get caught up in. So the birth into the life of the Dhamma is... Designed to keep reminding us, keep reminding us, keep bringing our attention back to these very basic truths, like this uh, five reflections that we just chanted. I am of the nature to age. Can't get around that. Even if we're young, we're still aging. I am of the nature to sicken. I am of the nature to die. Can't get around that one. You know, I I haven't lived that long, but I've lived long enough to start to see a a few things. And, for example, recently I was was on a trip, I was just visiting some friends of mine, some people I knew in northern New Zealand, and uh, they had this absolutely beautiful home, overlooking the Bay of Islands. Absolutely, uh, the home was stunning, the location was stunning, everything was just absolutely like a little heaven realm up there. And, and the, you know, the more we talked, the more I realized, okay, well, this is a couple who had, they had a dream, they built their dream house, Uh, They realized they're the perfect house in the perfect location. Um, And then once it was finished, it was just a hassle. (laughs) 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 uh, They built, you know, architects very smartly built a great big water tank into the whole design, and then the water tank leaked, and everything got flooded regularly, and it was just like, um, you know, she she says, when people come, to say, oh, you must, how can you get anything done here? You must just look at the view all day. <laughs> she said, right. <laughs> she, and uh, so they're going kind to of work all, all this way to build the dream house. The dream house is completed, and then it's, like a headache. And and then they got too old to be able to look after the landscaping, and now they have to move into a condo to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, was, I knew there was a lesson there. I was, wasn't quite sure what the lesson was. Maybe the lesson is, you know, just go straight to Florida. <laughs> you know, save yourself. A lot of hassle. Just go straight into the condos, Florida. Prices are very good right now. <laughs> but, you know, just the, the idea that, um, you know, you, you have a dream, and even if you fulfill the dream, <laughs> just as you envisioned it, and it's absolutely beautiful to everyone else, it's still a headache for those people. And was like, Wow. Mm-hmm to say nothing of the people who have a dream and actually never fulfill it. So, yeah, sometimes you wonder, well, what's the point? (laughs) What's the point of it all? Uh, Recently I saw a video of young soldier who had been training for years and on the, you know, real crack unit, first day in the battlefield, completely blown apart in the most gruesome way. You know, I was like, what's the point? Some people who have dedicated their entire lives to helping others. And in the end, mostly what they got was ingratitude. And seeing that, you know, it was a real lesson. It's like, well, what's the point there? But if you look at it from a Dhamma perspective, then you you look, well, What is the point? Because if you take birth in the Dhamma, uh, you take birth in a different way of approaching life. And as I said yesterday, where's my fortune? This side. My fortune cookie says... Learn Chinese. Good evening. No, wrong side. Ah. Um, The principal business of life is to enjoy it. So now, from all um, historical records that we have, the Buddha really seemed to enjoy his life. And it wasn't because he had a dream home on the Bay of Islands with a really nice view, uh, it wasn't because he got everything that he wanted or lived a life of comfort um, and yet wh- what was it? What was it? How do you actually live a life of uh, that is conducive to happiness? There was one time when the Buddha was still uh, very newly enlightened you know he, he, uh, in the early years and he was just sleeping. In the winter time in India, on a hard ground, and there were some leaves that he was sleeping on. And a guy came around and, and uh, he said, "Well, you know, I feel really a bit sorry for you. You know, how can you be happy sleeping on a hard ground in the middle of winter? And it gets pretty cold in northern India in the middle of winter. You know, you just have a robe to protect you." And, uh, but I said, well, who do you think would be happier? Uh, the king in his palace, surrounded by the retinue and concubines, surrounded by all the luxuries possible, um, surrounded by wealth, power. Who do you think would be happier, the king or me? And the local man who wandered by said, well, the king, of, obviously. And Buddha said, "Well, do you think the king is free from fear? You know, probably not. You know, whether you're a king, there's always someone trying to get your power, get your wealth, uh, royal intrigues. You can't, don't know who to trust and who not to trust. So, there's kind of fear and insecurity there. Saying, so, do you think the king is free from greed? Um, no, kings are kind of known for being greedy and." Never you know never have enough, and once they have enough land, they try to conquer someone else's land and do you think the king is freed from anger or hatred? Well, no you know, there's always kind of resentment there for the other king who took your land. you think the king's free from delusion? Certainly not. said well, one who dwells free from greed, anger, delusion, and fear is far happier, don't you think, than one who dwells having greed, anger, delusion, and fear? And then uh, even the local guy had to admit, yeah, I think you're right. So clearly the path of happiness was a different one. It was uh, like looking in a whole different direction counterintuitive, you might say. But it's looking for it in a, in a different place. But clearly the, the Buddha discovered something which was more um, stable, secure, not subject to the waxing and waning of fortunes. But, you know, that can seem quite exalted. Exalted. You know, trying to emulate the Buddha. Well, the Buddha was special. Buddha, you know, Buddha had been practicing to, as a Bodhisattva for eons. I probably... It's probably my first life practicing Buddhism. I've got eons to go. The Buddha had all eight jhanas. No wonder he was happy. Right? You know, bliss rapture on command like you have a remote control. Just so, okay. Seventh jhana. You know, uh, a reflection of nothingness, incredible sublime bliss. Okay, punch it in, let's go. <laughs> and they could spend the whole day like that. There would <laughs> Some of the suttas are great, you know. The, in the evening the Buddha would get together with Sariputta, Maha Moggallanda, and he said, Oh, how did you spend the day? Oh, I spent the day um, in the depths of um, a concentration on emptiness. You know, I mean, they didn't talk about, I went for a walk in the park or whatever, and they said, you know, what meditative state did you dwell in for the last eight hours? You know, you can just kind of go in there with that amount, that degree of uh, command and expertise. So, yeah, no wonder he's happy. <laughs> but what about the rest of us, you know? When I left Auckland three weeks ago, I was in the Auckland airport and I'd been through checkout and was on my way towards the gate. And this guy comes running up to me. He's about 30 years old, leather leather coat on. Comes running running up to, to me in the middle of the airport Big lobby. He says, Excuse me, excuse me, sir, excuse me. I'm like, You know, do you think I'm a kung fu master or what? It's you know? <laughs> not <laughs> so, okay. And so he caught up to me and, he, and so I turned around and you know, greeted him with a smile and he said, Ah, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, a couple years ago I was sitting next to you on the plane. From San Francisco to Auckland, and I was so sick. And my father had just died, and I was full of, you know, I hadn't gotten over the trauma of that, and I was physically so sick, and I had to get up so many times during the flight uh, to go to the bathroom to throw up. And you were so kind to me. And he said, <clears throat> he said, <clears throat> He had told this story to, uh, he said he had taught it uh, to hundreds of people in uh, the last couple of years. And uh, he said, you know, I've told so many people about this Buddhist monk that I sat next to on this flight, and he was so kind, and I just wanted to thank you. You're the first people I've told. (laughs) So sometimes when the thought arises, well, what's the point, I think, well, sometimes even just very small acts of kindness make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Now I did remember that flight. I had kind of forgotten about it, really. But you know, once he reminded me, I I did remember that flight. And um, at the time, I was just trying to be patient and, and polite. I don't recall being particularly kind, <laughs> or you know, I don't. I wasn't like exuding compassion or anything but but whatever you know just uh whatever I did at the time uh, made a big impression on him, obviously, surprisingly, and so that was a good lesson for me that uh we don't always have to think in grandiose terms when it comes to you know, what we can do to make the world a better place. What can we do to bring up a bit of happiness and joy you know, in our lives and in the lives of other people? You know, just little things like that. Being kind to people on the airplane when they're sick. In the path of the Dhamma, one thing which is emphasized over and over again is mindfulness and wisdom. Now mindfulness gets talked about a lot. Pali for mindfulness is sati, S-A-T-I. But actually, you know, the forest ajans, they talk about sati panya. Panya is the Pali word for wisdom. And if you look in the teachings, in the suttas, yeah, the Buddha is talking about sati panya. So sati, awareness in itself, is good, but it's not enough. A satipanya is like one compound word. It's like being aware, but then responding with wisdom. Responding in an intelligent, responsible, appropriate way at each moment. Because we can be aware of a certain situation and then act or respond in a really dumb way. Right? I mean, that's possible. Ajahn Samedho I used to tell this story a lot when I was a young monk. Well, he was at a meditation center once. And they had a meeting. And there was one guy who was doing the Mahasi-style walking practice. And uh, for him to get to his hut, to the meeting place, he was doing like, like the slow-motion... Lifting, moving, raising, touching, placing, walking like super slow motion, and, and everyone had to wait 45 minutes for him to, to get there because he was walking. He was only, you know, he's only like 50 yards away, but you know, he's like, everyone's like waiting for him to walk in slow motion. So that was one example he used for, uh, yes, mindful. <laughs> Yes, he was probably very, very mindful. But in that particular situation, the appropriate or wise response might have been to um, well, maybe walk a little faster so that other people don't have to wait for you. <laughs> <laughs> and life is filled with situations like that. So it's, that's a key point in, in understanding the teachings of the Dhamma. So it's not just mindfulness, but it's always emphasized to, to respond in a wise way. You know, like, <clears throat> if you get a leak in your roof, don't just sit there and be aware of it leaking, because it'll get worse and worse. You know, that's admirable in a sense, to, to be aware of it. But that happened once in Ajahn Chah's monastery, Ajahn Chah was kind of walking around the monastery, checking to see how things were, and he noticed there was one hut, you know, the the roof was like decaying and collapsing in. And there was a monk living in there. He said, well, why haven't you done anything to fix your roof? And he said, well, I'm just being mindful of it. And Ajahn Chah kind of blasted him for that. Uh, Good to be mindful. Yeah, and in certain situations, good just to um, be patient, you know, with the weather coming in. But in that particular situation, the wise response would have been to try to fix it when it's a small problem, so it doesn't get to be a big problem. Just uh, last month at our monastery, I had to bring up this Satipanya. Because one of the things I try to delegate to the um, people staying in the monastery is to look after the compost I get enough things to do without looking after the compost myself and so they're taking care of the kitchen scraps and bringing them out to the compost and you know we've talked about what the compost needs and protecting it from rats and you know what it needs and and uh, so I just kind of checked out the compost after not being there for Uh, not looking for a couple of months, and I checked it out, and I realized the whole thing was full of rats. You know, rats were eating everything. There was no compost being made at all. And for anyone who was putting the food in, it would be really obvious, you know, that none of it's turning into compost. It's all getting eaten. And uh, the tunnels of the rats going in was all very obvious. So, I had to bring it up. (laughs) So, so I'm sure you were very mindful in putting the food into the compost, but actually the point of putting the food into the compost was to make compost. So, there's the panya, wisdom aspect to it. I'm sure you were very aware of watching the food go into the bin. But, You know, there's more to it than that. (laughs) So that's a key aspect in every step of the Buddhist training. Because we have to use good sense. I'd like to say common sense, but really it's kind of uncommon. But we have to use good sense, at least as much good sense as we have. As much wisdom as we have at our disposal as much of intelligence and um, a sense of responsibility taking responsibility not just for you know what's happening at our nose tip but all around and being able to uh, be very flexible to know when our responsibility for being mindful is just kind of around what's happening within the skin you know just paying attention to the body and mind But then, at other times, our responsibility to be mindful might mean being mindful of the entire situation around us, everyone in the room, the whole situation, what needs to be done at this particular time. And that's where mindfulness really does become an art, art of living, just being able to uh, almost immediately, uh, intuitively, of take in a whole situation and respond in just the right way. Say just the right thing. And you can't plan it. It's, it's just something that can be trained generally through being aware and then feeling. Now, what's, what's the appropriate way to respond? Sometimes that means doing nothing. Sometimes it means taking action. But the same is true for every step of the Noble Eightfold Path. When we talk about mindfulness, mindfulness, right mindfulness, is the seventh factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. But it's not just right mindfulness. Right mindfulness and right effort have to go with each factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. All right? So if it's right intention, there has to be right mindfulness and right effort with that. You know, Right speech, right mindfulness, and right intention right um, effort. So right effort is that which is more active. You'd be, uh, let's say we're aware of a thought arising in our minds. So just being aware of it. If it's persisting, then right effort means knowing. Knowing whether we should... um, encourage it, knowing whether we should um, do what is necessary for that mental state to cease. So right mindfulness is all about uh, developing right effort every moment. So when unwholesome states of mind arise, or are reflected in our speech and our actions, then knowing that, but then also making the effort to allow that to cease. You know? Find a way to, to stop doing that so that it doesn't become a deeply ingrained habit. When wholesome mind states you know, are rising, then then know that, but then also put the energy and effort into sustaining that, making much of it, developing it. You know? So when, when a, a thought of generosity arises in mind, when a thought of kindness arises in your mind, then instead of just saying, oh, there's a thought of kindness, and then it ceases, <laughs> you, know, you can actually say, oh, there's a thought of kindness, and then, and then allow yourself to dwell on that. Again, according to time and place, there are certain times in meditation where you, even thoughts of kindness, become a distraction from a meditation object. But generally, in life situations, you know, if a wholesome mind state arises, then putting the effort into sustaining it, uh, making much of it, developing it, allowing it to blossom, allowing it to uh, form an entire way of life. You know, What we call this personality is just this conglomeration of habits. Things we've inherited, things that uh, we've developed consciously. So right effort and right mindfulness, always going together with satipanya, mindfulness and wisdom, And when the mind is calm in meditation, just knowing how to sustain that so that unwholesome mind states don't come up, hindrances don't arise to interrupt it. And as soon as they do, vigilantly, like very quickly, knowing that, because the mind is so tricky, as soon as we think, oh yeah, Starting to respond in a wise way, then the mind becomes so darn tricky, and it gets, comes from a different direction, you know, it gets us, kind of blindsides us over and over again. So it's always a challenge, but it can be a, a fun challenge as well, kind of try to rise to the challenge. And the benefits are very obvious. You know, if, we, if we're able to let go of anger, we can experience the benefit firsthand, immediately. It feels good. It feels pleasant. It feels lighter. So satipanya is very closely related to satisampajanya. Now the words, panya, wisdom, and sampajanya, which is normally translated as clear comprehension, very very similar. Used in slightly different contexts. Maybe panya, uh, wisdom, is meant to be more of a, a well, you know, kind of a um, the, the repository of wisdom in our stream of consciousness. Whereas sampajanya, is more like wisdom in action every moment. So one of the important stages towards developing, developing the mind, developing meditation, developing insight, is sati-sampajanya. And how the Buddha defines that is, in every activity throughout the day, everything we do with our body, establish mindfulness so clearly, Uh, and thoroughly on our body that every time we move it every time we we pick something up You know, we we clearly know that we pick something up every time uh, that we turn uh, We hear a sound and we turn to look before you turn to look, you know, clearly know Okay, I'm about to turn and and as you're turning to look You know and when you're walking very clearly know that you're walking, so that every time you walk, it becomes walking meditation. And when you sit, clearly know that you're sitting. Seems very simple, but you know how many times are we sitting places and we're not really there. You know, we're thinking about this, remembering that. So we're sitting. Just clearly know that we're sitting. When you're at your at your computer, and I think there's there's a whole lot of potential here for cutting edge meditation techniques. I'm just gonna Start teaching retreats on computer mindfulness because <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to lose touch with one's body when you're at the computer. It's like I'm so mindful, Then we get on the before we know it, like you know, hunched over, I'm just losing touch with the body. So at the computer, are you aware that you're sitting periodically? You know, do a do a body check. Um, am I are you aware of the body? Okay. Right. Take a deep breath. Okay, emails. And <laughs> periodic. Take a break. Okay. So if we can be aware of our body while we're at the computer keyboard, that's pretty good because um, you know the computer is something that really sucks uh attention uh, away from 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 the physical realm. But when we're bathing, you know, when you go down and and bathe, if you bathe with um, mosquitoes and tepid water, it's really good for body awareness because you're aware (laughs) of all of these physical sensations. Uh, If everything's always the perfect temperature, then it's conducive to not being aware of the body. But when there's Uh, either, you know, a lot of pleasure or displeasure, then, you know, we become more conscious of our body. It's one of the benefits of us living a simple life. When you go to the toilet, this is the Buddha always emphasized this, says when urinating and defecating, be in your body, know what you're doing. Sati sampajanya. What's the wise response? When you're urinating, right? Okay, you know, be mindful. Don't urinate into the wind. Right? You know, be mindful. There's a proper, appropriate, responsible way to urinate. There's a proper, appropriate, responsible way to defecate. You know, not just anywhere around John's cabin. You know, there's specific places. You could you could mindfully poop right next to the meditation porch, but that would not be sati Janya. <laughs> So the Buddha was really down-to-earth. And dhamma practice doesn't have to be super complicated, but to really get a solid foundation and continuity of awareness, then, then in everything that we do, every activity, while we're eating, you know, while we're, we're drinking a cup of tea, you know, that is the meditation right then and there. That's the meditation, just holding the cup, feeling the weight of the cup, the movement of the arm. Uh, the, the heat of the liquid on our tongue, uh, the reaction to it, etc. You know, that is the meditation at the time. And maintaining a continuity of that from activity to activity then builds up such a strong momentum. And when we do come and sit down on the meditation cushion, we've been meditating this whole time. And we come and sit down and we're not starting from scratch. You know, we've got all this momentum going. And then, then our responsibility of mindfulness becomes much more focused. You know, we, we don't have to uh, pay attention to the whole scene anymore. You know, we can close our eyes and we can focus just on the breath coming into the body, the sensations of the air flowing in and flowing out. Or we can focus just on the area around the nostrils, But again, flexibility in meditation, flexibility in life is so important because when you come down and everything seems to be coming together in the first five minutes, calm, clarity, go to your nose tip, and then you may start to get a bit foggy or thoughts start to creep in from the side and the background. Before you know it, you're off... um, you know, writing a letter or making a list. So catching yourself you know, when when you know, if we can maintain a very refined scope of mindfulness, say around the nostrils, that's excellent. But if we can only maintain it for a period of time, then we have to Uh, be very careful so when mindfulness begins to get a bit foggy then open up the field of mindfulness a bit right maybe to the whole body or maybe again like I said to the basic the basic ground of meditation baseline meditation anything that's happening in the present moment you know a wider application which is a bit easier right but to try to keep the momentum going you know so that Okay, it's getting a bit foggy, and the nose tip will go to the breath. Maybe we will just go back to paying attention to anything, even if it's just the sound of the birds. There it is. And, and even that's beneficial and relaxing. And then when we've developed a bit of momentum, you know, with whatever's happening in the present moment, then we can refine the scope a bit more bit more, just within the sensations of the body, and then maybe just the sensations of the air coming in and out of the body, and then maybe just the sensations of the air around the nostrils. So that type of flexibility with mindfulness and wisdom is very important. Because if we think meditation is just kind of a rigid little set of rules, and you just and we say, okay, um, just pay attention to the breath of the nostrils. You know, it's true, but it's more to it than that. You know, uh, it's true. It's true when you can do it. But for all of us, you know, some days the mind will be more peaceful. Some days it won't. Some days. Developing a sense of inner you know, peace and happiness may almost come naturally. Other days, the mind may be just filled with everything that's not peaceful, and it doesn't mean that we're practicing wrongly necessarily. It's just that, you know, as we practice, it's natural that old karma starts to ripen, and when old good karma ripens, then it will tend to ripen with. sense of ease, inner peace, feeling of happiness, joy, even if you haven't, even if nothing special has happened. You know, if we've done a lot of good karma in the past and it manifests in the present, then feel good. But, you know, we've we've all been making a lot of bad karma as well. We've all made a variety of karma. Just in this lifetime alone, you think of all the combinations of, of wholesome and unwholesome things we've done and said. And so when uh, unwholesome karma ripens, then it's going to ripen with sense of discomfort, mental discomfort, tension, um, dis-ease, anger, frustration, anxiety, worry, fear, stress, all of that. So it's good to know that, well, this is just a result of past karma, It's not like, this is who I am. This is not who I really am. My true self is fear, anger, stress, anxiety and depression. It's, okay, well, this is simply the results of past karma. It's important to accept that fully as well. Whatever is arising in the present moment, very important to accept that fully you know? mindful yeah but not just sati you know? sati sampajanya sati responding to it in a wise way accepting it fully if we respond to what's happening in the present moment with either by grasping onto it or by not wanting it by pushing it away then we just perpetuate it you know we we uh, uh, that's that's either a subtle or sometimes a gross form of creating more bad karma. All right let's say let's say we're sitting in meditation, John Tyndall's cabin in the woods everything's fine you think, okay we've got a lake, we've got woods we've got no, there's no problem right I should be I should be perfectly happy and content and then. Junk starts arising in the mind, and if we if we're not ready for it, or if we don't have um, you know if we place too much uh, invested too much in that should you know things should be peaceful because everything around is peaceful you know and then if they're not peaceful internally it can be easy to respond to that. With a, a, a subtle aversion, you know? you know, anger, discomfort, unhappiness, depression, whatever, you know, feeling of um, aversion. I don't want that. That's not. That's not what I'm here for. That's not me, whatever. But trying to push it away, but that doesn't really work. Just you can you can push it away, but it bounces back. It always comes back, maybe in different ways. But whatever it is, even if it's unpleasant, just fully accepting that. Say, okay, well, this is what's happening in the present moment right now. And I can either accept it and be at peace with it, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, or I can suffer with it, create more suffering around it. And so that is a choice. That's what we mean by karma, right there, in the present moment. How we respond to the past results of karma arising in the present. That's where we create our future. That is our opportunity for freedom. So now, good karma is manifesting in the present moment. Feeling calm, happy... Sense of joy arising, be, um, you know it can even be a, a pleasant reflection on something that we've done in the past. You know, we think oh it's Father's Day, uh, reflecting on all the wonderful thing our, things that our father has done for us. Um, even that would be con- considered a skillful meditation technique, hmm? or reflecting on all the good things that we've done for our father. You know, that's a a skillful reflection, a meditation technique in itself. And so that would be like the results of good karma manifesting in the present. But even when uh, the results of good karma arise, then how we respond, you know, is is again very, very important. Because we can take something that's uh, wholesome and maybe grasp onto it in a way which doesn't conduce to perpetuating that wholesome mind state. A you know, sense of light and ease and the bodily start arising. You say, I always wanted to be this way. <laughs> Finally, now I got it. I'm going to hold on to it. <laughs> I'm never going to let rapture go. And then it's gone because we've tried to possess it and grasp it and hold on to it. So when there's a result of good karma arise in the present moment, then a wise response: Hey, this is the result of good karma. It's pleasant. Maybe I should make more good karma. <laughs> <laughs> How do I make good karma in this moment? Right, and that's gonna change from place to place, moment to moment, hour by hour. But if you're on the meditation cushion, way to make good karma is one: you just be mindful of it. Allow the sense of peace to go through your body and mind without grasping, without holding, without trying to uh, analyze it. And the more you do that, the more it encourages that. It brings it up more. Mm -hmm. It strengthens it. This is what we mean by taking a wholesome mind state in a, like a seed form, and then developing it, cultivating it, making much of it, until it has the chance to to blossom and, and come to fruit. So in this way, you know, every moment is an opportunity for making good karma, and the results of good karma are, are our own happiness. On the meditation cushion, Every moment is an opportunity to look, how can I respond in a wholesome way? How can I respond in a wise way? Until it becomes a strong habit, and you don't have to think about it. You don't have to think, what's the wise way to respond? It starts to become uh, second nature. You know, if we're going to develop a, a type of a personality, then you know, we develop a personality which is based on on goodness and wholesomeness and and, uh, and joy and you know all the all the things that really are conducive to happiness, because you can't just jump into anatta or non-self. You kind of gradually get there through cultivating purifying a stream of consciousness bit by bit until it does lead to enough samadhi or concentration, which conduces to enough insight for insight to go deeply enough that you can. Uh, even let the goodness go. So right here, this is the place where we have the opportunity to be free from all the past conditioning, where we can develop you know, wholesome states of mind, make good karma every moment. This is the opportunity we have. I mean, it totally goes against the idea of being a victim, Right? I mean, whatever whatever has happened in the past, so what? Right, that's gone. This is the present moment. This is what we've got. How I respond then literally creates my future. So we're not victims. You know? we're creating our life as we go. Okay, so at the end of the day, I recommend just spending a little time reflecting on all the good things that your father's done for you. Even if he's a total jerk, he's probably done some good things for you, and reflect on all the good things that you've done for your father. And and uh, you can say whatever good karma that you've made today you know all the practice at least you know even just getting up early with a good intention you know is making good karma every all the good karma that you've made today you know may that be shared with your father so i offer this for your reflections evening. Sādhu.